2: Hello everybody, my name is Neil White and from Backpage, this is the big interview with Graham Hunter. To be precise, it's our monthly Q&A show when our beloved socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and our beloved sponsors, Bet365, send in questions and that Graham Hunter over there in Barcelona, he answers them. Graham, we're gonna start like mastermind this time. You're gonna have a specialised subject, it's FC Barcelona, and if you don't know the answers to any of these, you can, of course, say, take the ball past the ball. So, to begin with, it's a regular contributor, Ian Arnott, who says, Hola, jefe. As Ernesto Valverde's contract at Camp Now expires at the end of the current season, Is there any strength in the rumour Barcelona would pursue the services of Mauricio Pochettino? And I want to expand this question slightly by bringing in our first from our sponsors Bet365 who want to know which club should be first on the phone to Poch. So let's start with Valverde and Barca and then move on to the other numbers on Pochettino's list of missed calls this week.
1: Morning Ian, hola jefe. The first answer is really clear, I don't know where the rumour comes from but there's absolutely no chance of Pochettino and Barca for a number of reasons. (laughs) First of all, he has said that he's antipathetic towards uh, Barcelona, that he couldn't work there, that he wouldn't want to work there. I think it's because he didn't come to this continent from South America hating Barca, but having coached and played for Espanyol, I think that while Valverde also I mean, coached Espanyol to a European final at Hamden against Sevilla, it, it shouldn't be an automatic bar of any kind. His words about football club Basso and Ian have been so pungent that it made it pretty clear that he was not only, because for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, not only was he distancing himself from ever managing Barcelona, he was marking down the territory that one day he'd actively like to be Roman's manager. And as such, that's a really smart phrase to use. I'll never coach Barca. It's funny, though, It really, in all honesty, Pochettino stands for certain concepts, promotes a a brand of football which would be very welcome, not only at the camp now, but given the current squad resources. I think he'd be an immensely interesting choice to take over from Favardi. But given how tumultuous the camp now is already in many, many aspects, adding somebody that the fans might boo out into the dugout every week wouldn't, wouldn't, or second week would not be a good idea. Um, as far as who should be on the telephone, I, I see very few other clubs that shouldn't have a shot at him. I, I'd very much like to see Pochettino take the, the break from um, intense... Daily football training that I think he probably needs, um, given that everybody, you don't need to have an inside view to know that there was a degree of burnout involved in what's happened at Spurs upwards in terms of his relationship with Daniel Levy. But most importantly, around him, the the football players that he moulded in every case helped to improve and brought them to the experience of their lifetimes by um, by getting that late point at camp now to go through the group and then you know the really dramatic progress towards the Champions League final madrid including that what was it 3-0 down 3-3 against ajax to knock them out of the Champions League semi-final that that relationship was was eroded and i think that Pochettino needs to take Partial responsibility for that. And therefore, a break, a recharging of the batteries is something that complements the, the elite football manager's preference always to begin a project having a, a pretty good inkling of it, say March, April, but then not taking over until the end of May, beginning of June. You have the summer, you have the training camp, you have um, time to get to know the players. And therefore, I hope he stops. And I, I would have said that um, there is a really clear message coming out of Manchester United that they want to maintain and give time to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, I I would back that. It would be hypocritical of me not to say that because if you listen and, and you watch closely, you learn that it's not a cliche, it's a truism that football coaches need much more time than they're given at the moment, particularly one where, although Solskjaer is not wholly inexperienced, he is definitely learning on the job. They opted for him, and I think that it's, it's to the... Club's health and the squad's health that Zoscar is given time. Whether he proves to be the right manager or not, I think is still in the balance. I, I'm open-minded, but that means that with further evidence, it might be clear that Manchester United should, should be him Pochettino. Right now, the other principal candidate, not not only but principal candidate, I think is is very patently Real Madrid because they try to get him and because he wants to coach there. There was a wedding. In the summer that Pochettino signed his most recent contract with Spurs, he was at a society wedding in Madrid. He was sitting at the same table as um, Florentino Perez and Jose Ancho Sanchez, the president vice president of um, Madrid. And they were like, if you'd had a buyout clause in your contract, we'd have come and signed you. You would be our coach. You wouldn't be Lopetegui. And that's how close he already came. So the, the counter side to that, uh, guys, is that I see Zidane doing really quality work, again, at Real Madrid. Personally, I'm hugely enjoying the turnaround, the intensity, the quality of play. I won't list everything that I see about it because this isn't a Madrid answer. But I see Pochettino's need for Real Madrid as slightly greater at the moment than Madrid's need for him. There are other options, clearly, in that he is of the level to coach Juventus if Sarri doesn't work. PSG if Tuchel doesn't work and improve both those clubs and add to his Champions League luster, Pochettino's luster. And the one I'll close off with now is that I know that there are huge uh, swathes of opinion that think he's going to Bayern Munich. And I'm not saying that's impossible, but I can share with you, Socios, and if, if I haven't, if I have mentioned it before, then pardon me. But Asan Salahimidzic is um, the director of football at Bayern Munich. I know for a fact that for many, many months before Kovac was appointed, Bayern Munich studied every action of Pochettino. His words in public, his uh, games at home and away, what was published in his book. They followed him really closely with an eye to appointing him. And they had an opinion which I share, which is one of the uh, Pochettino's pending tasks, is to be able to make elite quality impact substitutions in games where he's recognised the pattern of the match, where he's recognised opportunities to introduce particular players quicker than the opposition coach. And they think that he's too conservative. They think that one of his pending tasks is to get more accurate and... And, and more appropriate, i.e. quicker, about those ch- match changes. Now, that might be one thing on a list of uh, ticks and crosses that they can overcome, that they can say, w- we think he'll blossom in that aspect with us. But if Bayern Munich are held by many people, um, given Flick being a temporary appointment, given the fact that Bayern Munich have a very, very tumultuous uh, domestic season, then those who think that Pochettino is going to Bayern Munich should come to terms with the idea that they have one serious black mark on their assessment of his current abilities.
2: Okay, we're going to move on to um, another doubler here, and part of this is, you know, it's pretty big news, I think, for our monthly Q and A shows, Graham, and that is that we have confirmed pronunciation on the name of one of our regular um, contributing (laughs) socios. Are you ready for this?
1: For socios who don't know the... can't tell the time of day that this is. This is a very, very early morning um, piece of work when each of us is working flat out for eight or nine days. And that that very big piece of news. I do love your introduction. Yes, go on. Yes. This is important.
2: This is important. So this is straight from the man himself. And our first question is from Ethan... Sokolos.
1: Ethan, I think we've had a right good shot at that over the months. Mr. Sokolas um, from, from Barcelona, buenos dias. Ethan says, Hi
2: Graham, can you explain to me, and don't jump in here because there's, uh, we've got another socio who, who is on the same theme. Hi Graham, can you explain to me what's going on at Barca? It seems to be a bit of a mess. Ricky Pooge wanting to leave. Griezmann not fitting in, amongst other things. Ian Boddy then says, Graham, what's going on at Barca? Is it A, PK? we started like this under Luis Enrique and went on to win the treble, Or B, PK? there are issues to be resolved but inside the dressing room? Or C, the players aren't running as much as their rivals? Or is it something else? So it seems a bit weird to be talking about um, intrinsic problems at a team who are at the top of La Liga. But I think to anybody who's been watching them regularly, there, there is. Uh, they are striking off keynotes.
1: No, I, I listen, Ian Nathan. Um, hello, I don't think it's that odd because I think it's the task that we set ourselves. Whether we achieve it is done for the socios to to, down to the socios to judge. But I, I, in no way do I think it's strange to look at Barcelona um, top of the league, and as we record with the Dortmund game coming um, on Wednesday night, top of the Champions League group. If you look at the Champions League performance, I don't think there's any group leader with a worse goal difference. Barca scored four goals compared to whatever it was, 11 at the stage last season. They um, they have had 2-0-0 draws, which used to be um, as rare as hen's teeth. 2-0-0 uh, draws in the group stage. Um, when they've lost in La Liga, it's been... Pitiful. They're winning in a in an attritional way, where they're often getting bumped about and and grabbing winners. Um, but beyond the results and and beyond, beyond the you know the contrasting worth of their play compared to their positions, both Ian and Nathan are are right. There are there are some serious issues to resolve. Football Club Barcelona and um, I was working recently with um, Chappie Ferrer of Dream Team fame and it's interesting how you can become a player of Cruyff in a, in a particular era but completely, I consciously or subconsciously, I don't know, disavow his values because I always try to apply the, the sort of judgment template that, that Cruyff or Guardiola would to this club at least because that's the the brand of football thinking that they're identified with, which gave birth to this current era. And neither Guardiola nor Cruyff would judge on results. They would look at quality of performance, the idea behind a performance. They would look at, for example, seeing as you two you three introduced it, they would look at the well being of a guy like Ricky Pooch. And um I'm going back to what Ian said about the <laughs> APK, we started like this under Lucian Ricky. No, nope, <laughs> forget that. B PK, there are issues to be resolved. But in the dressing room, yeah, I think that's right. And see the players cover less kilometres than their rivals. Yes, I think that's right. But I I think first and foremost, I go back to the way Neil expressed it at the end. Irrespective of the fact that you cannot judge a, a Barcelona squad and manager and brand of football simply by their positions. It remains true they've won eight out of the last 11 leagues. It remains true that they have consistently earned huge sums of money by making it to the quarter-final or semi-final of the Champions League and there are many, many other clubs that if you look back at Barcelona's recent record in the Champions League, while it would sting any club to go out so calamitously in a second leg against Roma or to have to overturn deficits like they had to against Paris Saint-Germain or be pumped by Juventus, the list goes on and on, Liverpool thing being the the apex of this, um, the high point of this, what the hell are we doing wrong that everybody else in Europe is doing right. The overall record of Barcelona um, in terms of prestige, in terms of the European ranking, which is their rank number two in Europe behind um, Real Madrid because of their overall performance in the last um, ten years. These things would be enough for most clubs. And I think that if we put a proper critical analysis together of the things that Ian and Nathan are asking about but forget to say they've been I think I mean look it's early in the morning and I didn't know that I was going to be asked to do something statistical but did they win four Spanish Cups in a row? They certainly played dramatically well in beating Athletic Bobao and beating um, Sevilla plus Alaves I think there's another one in there I think that does make it four Spanish Cups in a row and if you if you lump in their their Champions League performances generally plus the title winning then it does take a, uh, an honest acidic eye t- to point out they've they've spent money ludicrously badly they've overpaid for players who seem to be in my opinion under the question about whether Coutinho was needed was one that i think was was fair to put forward and it reminded me of the time when Barcelona lost Luis figo to real madrid And there was general panic at Camp now, And they went, right, okay, what we'll do is we'll play, we'll pay the De we'll pay um, Puyol, we'll pay Koku, we'll pay Luis Enrique. On top of their huge wages, we'll start paying them match appearance fees of about anywhere between 13,000 and 40,000 euros per game on top of a multi-million pound salary already to try and tie them to the club. We'll, do anything to prevent Reminad coming back for Puyo, which was their intention, or Koku. And what we saw was um, a chaotic approach to keeping the squad hungry, a chaotic approach to how to sign well. And and that was that led to what was a I think a six-year trophy drought. And I make that comparison because Coutinho was brought because of the panic post Neymar, the way in which Neymar was plucked away from them, the way in which um, they, I think, underscouted Coutinho's personality. The other examples would be the massive cost for Dembélé, who should have been bought a year before, um, blooded in at the camp now if they wanted. He should have been bought, they should have beaten Dortmund to the €15 million euro investment they gave to Rennes. And right now, Dembele several years into his time at Football Club Barcelona is still failing to hold down a first-team place, failing to control the ball, failing to shield the ball was the principal reason they went 1-0 down at Leganez. He's still extraordinary to watch. He would be, you know, in it, it, when he's doing the things he does brilliantly, for my eye, he'd be as exciting to watch as as Neymar is. It's just that it's far, far, far less regularly he does that. And therefore, things wrong, things to sort out. Well, retrospectively, you can't go back and take all that money back and, and buy better players. They've, they've made an arse of it. And that's at a time when people talk about messy dependence. They're utterly, utterly domestically reliant on Luis Suarez, not just his goals, but his brilliant positional play is is being one of the few remaining players who absolutely knows how to get the best out of Leo Messi His his competitiveness and, and although I put it you know only in the list not the list his his goal scoring and that at a time when his athleticism is declining Um, he's about I think to turn 33 uh, Busquets is a deeply, significantly declining force. They've elongated his contract massively. They're out of money, yet they must elongate Der Stegen's contract. The, the general financial and football husbandry, which is a phrase I use often, but I think its its meaning is perfect for this description, has been inadequate. And the club has been dragged along by the competitive will to win of PK. And Alba and Busquets and um, Ter and the genius in their own way of of Messi and Suarez. And the club owes the players, you know, they're on a record wage bill at the moment. The club owes the players far more than they can give back to them in, in simple salaries. So the ills that need corrected are multiple, Ian. Ethan, Uh, the difference being that with two or three correct purchases with the influx of energy and um, intensity that a new manager will bring next summer and eventually with a new president summer 2021, there are there are correctable flaws. It's just that right now, Puro Valverde is left with quite a mess. Uh, Perhaps the things that he's very good at as a coach and man manager are now slightly lower down the list of things that Football Club Barcelona needs. And that's what's going to be most testing in his final year as coach, which I believe this will be. I don't think he'll be renewed because right now he, he definitely needs, beyond the fact he's been willing to deduce Ansu Fati and Carlos Perez and uh, Wagwe and uh, Arojo in times of need, he's also completely unwilling to Think about taking Collado or Ricky Pooch up one. The club seems to be completely dissonant in terms of its assessment of Ricky Pooch compared to those fans who either read the papers or watch Ricky Pooch regularly. For those socials who don't know him, he's a willowy but tremendously gifted uh, dribbler, passer. People making any Esther comparisons, I think that's invidious. I think that should be avoided. But he is somebody who twists away from a marker, twists away from a reception of a pass maybe beats a man or two and lays beautiful passes into the path of others, can score, does score, creates chances. An extraordinarily exciting player, but it goes beyond Valverde and the microscope on Valverde because Abidal has said it might be time for Ricky Pooch to go out and, and go on loan. So this club, um, Ian nathan Neil, it is not wholly recognisable to the club that you'd have thought Ricky Pooch would have been coming through the ranks into and sadly that's to his detriment
2: Okay finally on Barcelona before we take a, a little break this one is from Julian Ball Rodriguez and he asks Do you think Barca will dip into the transfer market in January and if so who should they sign? So I guess this is the poor husbandry that you're talking about, if we if we remain within that model like a likely outcome as opposed to you know a, a complete overhaul right now in this window what are the, I guess what are the positions you think they need to sign in? And do you know if there are any deals that are on the move?
1: Hello there, Julian. Um, And yes, we will try to get your favourite interview on The Big Interview. I think that's a difficult one um, because they're desperately, desperately short of money. They are extraordinarily keen to try and get um, either Manchester United or Inter Milan to sign Ivan Rakitic. Therefore, they are desperate for Ivan Rakitic to accept that his time at the camp now is up when right now they need him very, very badly. He would be playing very regularly, except for the fact that they view him as one of their most, in fact, their most saleable asset, by which I mean the asset that they're willing to trade, but which will yield them a big sum. So one, irrespective of which position you'd like to cover or which player you believe could be tempted, in all honesty the money supply and the debt and the way in which they've constructed loans to add Griezmann onto the, you know, the payments that they still owe to Dortmund and to Liverpool for Dembele and, and Coutinho and, and my, you know, previously mentioned point that they are, you know, they're scraping up funds in order to try and to be able to fund the renewal of of, of senior players whose contracts need to be updated including Messi, or they want to update Messi's. So I think it's been proven that they're, they're they're short at right back, whether that's cover, whether that's a mixed picture, because Semedo has proved tremendously good at left back, far superior in my humble opinion. To the player that he's shown himself to be at right back, it might be while I while this is now this is my own take on it, not Barcelona's take. It might be that Semedo, by proving himself to be an adequate right back and <laughs> an extraordinarily good left back, um, it might be that suddenly his asset value for the summer, not winter, has gone up, and and if they could trade and find a replacement, that might be something they think they could do a shrewd deal on, get more money for Sumedo than they spend on somebody that they think should come in. So, positionally, again, until we know about Araujo, although it it seems that Valverde likes him, until we know more about Todibo, although it seems that Valverde doesn't like him, the mixture of those two plus, the two Frenchmen and Piquet, at the moment, will get you through to summer. and I don't really expect a centre-half. I honestly think that while they can play Griezmann at nine, Julian, I honestly think that were they to add an out and out goal getter. And they tried so hard for Carlos Vela last winter market, who then went on to have a record breaking MLS season, looking slimmer and fitter and, and more, what I say? It, more efficient than he, he did at Real Sociedad. That was Valverde's choice. The club turned him down. They had a try for Stuani. They had a try for umpteen players and, it's my opinion that given that the Barcelona have now become goal reliant rather than pass and position reliant, even though they've got Dembele and Ansu and Carlos Perez and Messi and Suarez and Griezmann, an out and out nine who'll accept maybe only playing ten or fifteen times between January and May, but who'll do who'll do a Larson for them, I think is, is where they could be tempted. And where <laughs> crazy things have happened in football, where they might suddenly go from being, you know, fourth or fifth or sixth ranked team with a possibility of winning the Champions League to the dark horse that does win it. Um, because, you know, with extra goals and some tightening up in midfield so that the defence gets an easier job, because the defence is not as bad as people make out, it's the midfield where they need to sort things out. It, with that influx of yeah. Astuani or Avella, that you know their type, then you know who knows. And because that they, because I think that right now Barcelona have earned fifty six million already from this season's Champions League. And should they go through as far as the quarterfinals, that'll be up to about eighty six. So that's before you even think about semi finals, finals, and, and the extra money that brings. They're on course, um, because they will qualify for the group, I think. They're on course for an €87 million Champions League season. So, you know, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul is possible at Christmas, Julian. Uh, And I honestly, given the superfluity of resources and other positions, a jack-in-the-box nine might be the thing.
2: Thanks, Julian. Thanks, everybody. Okay, it's time for a quick break. We'll be back in a little minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We're straight in
3: with an audio question recorded from one of our socios, Tom Lee. Take it away, Tom. Hi, Graham and the team. Uh, Tom Lee here with another audio question for the socio Q&A. In his most recent ESPN verbal diary, if you like, um, Graham discusses the potential for Zidane to move upstairs as director of football, um, bringing in not one of the renowned hired guns but somebody from the youth set up Ala Guardiola into Barcelona 08, whether that's Xabi Alonso or Raul Gonzalez. Um, I think it's interesting that he published that column pretty much simultaneously that Jose Mourinho, no less, was appointed Spurs boss. Um, He also, in that same column, suggested that he has Real Madrid as slight favourites to win La Liga in May 2020. Um, Does the appointment of Mourinho in Tottenham actually firm up that opinion given that uh, for the president at Real now uh, withdraws and takes away one of his key temptations uh, to jump ship and put Mourinho into the job, if indeed he's no longer available and clearly has had his card marked that the Real Madrid job wasn't available. So Zidane therefore to stay until at least the end of the season with that possible succession plan. Does that, Graham, strengthen your opinion uh, that this will be the year for Los Blancos in La Liga? Thanks.
1: And for those who don't know Tom, follow him at Tom's Tips. Um, I'm pretty sure. Is that right, Mr. Lee? I think so. Tom often asks my advice, and I think th- through inaction, I saved him some money at the weekend, um, when Getafe only managed to draw Espanol. Yes, the lack of Mourinho clearly takes one option for Emperor Florentino away and Florentino definitely had an itch that he wanted to scratch about the way in which Mourinho left the club and whether there was life in that old dog yet. I have no hard information but I suspect that the the speed with which Spurs suddenly moved on Mourinho when if they wanted to get Pochettino and Mourinho in they should have done so at the beginning of the um, international window. I suspect that Jose Mourinho or his agent as Jose Mendes, will have said to Spurs, oh, we've got this big offer coming in from, and Daniel Levy believed them and moved, which is entirely legitimate on everybody's part. Did Jose Mourinho say, well, I've got a big offer? I I don't know. About Real Madrid, I don't know. But I do know that I would... as Tom probably has, moved beyond that in that I hinted earlier in this uh, chat that Madrid's fitness coach, coach, uh, Gregory Dupont, the Frenchman who worked at Lille successfully, worked with Didier Deschamps in winning the World Cup, has has worked, if not wonders, has worked his magic with uh, Real Madrid in terms of redesigning their daily fitness work, which is with the ball. Don't for a second think that there's... You know, massively extra running, and that it's boot camp mentality, like it is under Professor Ortega at uh, Atleti. That that wouldn't be true. But Real Madrid have been given a tiger in the tank, right across the board, with minor exceptions. Isco being one. This is a squad which is now vastly mentally fresher. And that stems from being confident that they can squeeze the best out of their own abilities because they're fit. Everybody knows in their own daily lives the difference you feel if you're sluggish and you've overeaten or underslept or had too many drinks compared to when you've had a week or two couple of sessions at the gym, decent sleep, you've been remorseless in your in managing your diet and suddenly you're sharper, you're more alert, you are you feel more sure of your decision making. Well, footballers are the same and DuPont has had that effect um, on Real Madrid and he's Zidane's appointment. Zidane's lack of impact on the team when he took over in a horrible situation has metamorphosed into this daily working regime under Zidane. Resembling the one that he established when he took over from Benitez. Where elite players are not only enjoying themselves day by day. They're enjoying themselves without being a comfort zone. The things that he's getting them to work on. Which is speed of transition. Speed of movement of the ball. Shooting from distance. um, A degree of improved pressing. Makes them serious rivals. I have them now as my favourites to win the title in Spain. And from having been nowhere in my ranking of who might win the Champions League, and I still think that you know, they'd have a hard to against a full strength City, and I think that they would suffer against a super intense Liverpool. The end of season is far away and it might be that City's injuries problems or this hubbub over how happy Pep Guardiola is, or Liverpool's intensity. Potentially dipping by April, May. Who knows? It might be that Real Madrid are in a firmer position still than than they look like right now. And I think all of that must reflect on the way that Florentino Perez's decision making goes. Um, he, he, as a club, they're tight with George Mendes, um, the vice president, Jose Angel Sanchez, who I mentioned earlier on in the in the Pochettino discussion. He's very close to Mendes. As Tom says, that that Mourinho thing is gone. And what's left, because there are not, isn't a string of candidates standing there waiting with perfect CVs ready to take over at Real Madrid. Not simply because of football qualities, but because it's an intensely political, sometimes poisonous club, not just demanding. And therefore Pochettino is a possibility, particularly at the end of the season. And for those who didn't listen to the column or read it, Tom is referring to the fact that I think Madrid at the time that Madrid were thinking about removing Zidane at the time when it it didn't look as if his work was bearing fruit I was really um, urgently wishing not to lose Zidane either from Spanish football or from Real Madrid and I think that Real Madrid's order of how they sell, how they buy, which is still very necessary, the squad is bloated the wage bill is bloated there are several players there who aren't going to play Uh, and therefore you just need that term again of football husbandry the best Madrid have been in recent seasons is when Zidane has either been formally director of football or acting in that role informally and and were Florentino Perez to remove this wonderful Frenchman from post then to promote him to director of football and to bring in uh, Raul Gonzalez-Blanco, the f- Raul, uh, the, the all-time great striker at Real Madrid, or Xavi Alonso. It, it, Xavi Alonso is, is coach of uh, the, the B-side at uh, La Real, and Raul is coach of the B-side at Real Madrid, Castilla. And, and they are eminently um, positive candidates for taking over at Real Madrid in a field where you would compare them with Pochettino. But my bet right now, is that if Zidane uh, wants to stay, he'll now be given that option. I think that we've seen sufficient reawakening of important footballers at Real Madrid, and we've seen progress in other footballers sufficient, that if Zidane's appetite to stay remains strong by the end of the season, I think and hope he'll be told, carry on, Jefe. But, if that's not the case, one I passionately believe that Zidane is is a compendium of the talents and attitudes and knowledges that make him essential for Real Madrid going forward. He's so woven into their their modern past, and he's remains so vital, so useful, so energetic in, in football terms, so young that to lose him would be beyond idiotic. But. It, if he doesn't stay on his coach, then there's a field. Suddenly there's a field with Raul and Xabi Alonso. Even though they are young, they would be the equivalent of appointing Guardiola in 2008 at Barcelona. And Pochettino is there too. So yes, Tom, the answer is hell's teeth, down to the end of the season. Damn sure, baby. And the trophies coming. I think they're title winners here. And carry on. Carry on, Zizou, would be my hope.
2: One of my favourite movies in the series. Here's Shane Hurley with the next question. Um, What La Liga club would be the best fit now for the available Robert Moreno? And what is the view of him now in Spain? Any personal dealings with him? And just for those who are unfamiliar, we're talking, of course, about the um, former youth coach and scout who Luis Enrique made assistant at Barcelona and Roma and Celta. Um, and then later Spain, um, and he took charge of the Spanish national team during Luis Enrique's compassionate leave and has stepped down upon his return. So, Graham, what do we know about how Senor Moreno rolls, and where can you see him working next?
1: Hello, Mr. H. Um, let's take Shane's question in reverse, because the view of Moreno is that, given what Neil's listed there as Robert's um, CV, Everybody needs to remember that he only had um, one senior role as head coach or manager. It was for a handful of games when in the Malta away game, Luis Enrique had to rush home. And it transpired that his daughter was um, fatally unwell. So the depth of evidence on which to judge Robert Moreno is slim. But the almost unified position amongst the fans I've spoken to, amongst journalists I've spoken to, amongst the football industry that I've spoken to and I have done because I was at the majority of the games that Robert Moreno coached. I was there on you know a couple of Fridays ago when they beat Malta with one of the best performances I've seen from Spain since Xavi and Iniesta and Villa and, and Torres and Puyol were in the side. Irrespective of it being Malta, you look at what Spain did, and you're like, "Yeah, this is massively healthy." They believe the alertness of mind, the the, the quality of passing, the the movement to facilitate the passing, and then the following Monday when the dirty deed was done, when um, it was clear that there is an extraordinary amount of sympathy for Robert Moreno, the situation he's been left in. If if it's transferable, what we saw Robert Moreno being able to do, which was transform a Spain side from, I thought, relatively moribund um, at a time when he and Luis Enrique were in charge and to transform them from a side which started, you know, superbly in their uh, Nations League games and then go out by losing at home to England... And and by being unable to deal with Croatia away, Moreno made a difference. The football improved. The players were absolutely dedicated to him. He brought in footballers we didn't expect to see in the squad, and they functioned. He challenged David Gea. He brought in Gerard Moreno. He brought Albiol back, which I just could not believe, and and clearly thought him a touchstone footballer at thirty four. There were changes all over the place. He gave real protagonism to Fabiani. He dropped Cokie. He made active decisions that, going back to your point, Shane, will have alerted certain club presidents to his abilities. And he will, I think, between now and June, be offered a job, whether that be help, help, save us, or as he used to say, help, help, here come the bears. I did love the hear bear bunch. But he'd be Mr. Peebly to a club at some stage coming in to be able to right the wrongs. Or if he's really wise, he'll wait until the spring when a club director of football comes to him and says, we want you to be in charge of, you know, name your team, Girona or Espanyol or maybe Betis, whoever it might be, um, Valencia. As of May, get ready. And I think that's what will happen. I think that he'll lick his wounds I think that by June he'll be in a in a reasonably prominent Spanish football job. Speaks very good English, made a point of displaying that. Not impossible that somebody in England might, t- might take a chance on him. But I think the likelihood is that he's managing a, a, a mid-level Spanish La Liga club by June.
2: Interesting that the last name mentioned there was Valencia because our last question in today's show comes from Richard Cook. Who's what to ask about Valencia and their Champions League group? Now I'm going to remind the listeners that Graham and I are recording this 24 hours before Valencia played Chelsea. So this is a test of Graham's clairvoyant skills. With two rounds of games to go, eh, kind of one now? Do you think they will make it? It's been a group that has fascinated me with three strong teams. The Chelsea-Ajax game didn't disappoint. If Valencia don't make it, how will it impact on their budgetary point of view? You spoke about them having to qualify and sell a key part of their squad. They seem to be a club that really depends more than most on these things. So how, Graham, does Valencia's sort of medium-term financial plans depend on what happens across the next couple of match days?
1: Hola, Ricardo. Um, it, it does to a huge extent, but let, let's re-emphasise a point that I made, which is that the, um, the Champions League revenue this season is more extraordinary than it has ever been. Because of certain fixed payments, um, and and it's again it's based on the the coefficient and performance and market share, and I'm, I won't you know do the whole equation, but even though they are further down the rankings than Atleti, Barca, and then say Valencia have earned somewhere uh, close to forty six million from the Champions League already this season, so that helps enormously because although I haven't um, rehearsed this, their global debt, um, I think, is in the region of 500 million. Um, And that means that with the... um, Let's just see if I can give you... I think that it's it's just under 500 million with the new stadium having been restarted next to paralysed at the moment. And there's long-term and short-term debt in there. So Therefore, I think Richard was was completely clear, but just for others who might not be, Valencia's need to sell, irrespective of performance, is based on their own financial plan. They have stated absolutely openly that they need to qualify, they needed to qualify for 15 straight years for the Champions League to meet their own um, financial um, provisions and sell at least one player that got them there every time they qualify for the Champions League. So that means that the emphasis on the director of football being able to, this was the phrase that um, Harry Redknapp got so furious about, wheel and deal, i.e. buy short, sell long, in traders' terms, is huge. So, picking apart the, the points, Richard, number one, you know, this... Performance so far this season which as we speak has them tied on seven points with Chelsea and Ajax as we speak with a head-to-head advantage on Chelsea and with uh, a final away day in Amsterdam against Ajax yeah you're right that the qualification is in the balance but it can remain so until you know day six With two more wins, they'd earn five. What's two times 5.4 million euros? With two more wins, um, less if it's a win and a draw, so that would take them above 50. And if they get into the last 16, should they qualify, then there's another nine ish. And if they get to the quarterfinals, Valencia stand to earn by reaching the quarterfinals something like. 77, 78 million euros which is an extraordinary sum. That used to be the the sum that a winner might get. A winner might get. Would they still if they got to the quarterfinals and earned something just under 80 million would they still be looking to sell a senior player? Richard they would. Definitely they would. More they would have sold Rodrigo out from underneath Marcelino in the summer had Atleti being able to get rid of Correa. My strong opinion is that Atleti will try to do that deal again at Christmas. I think it's a horrendously different prospect to sell your, what is, at or around, including Parejo, your best player, in mid-season and try to replace him. And Rodrigo is enormously important to Valencia. So we're talking about a juggling of clairvoyance that's far beyond simply do they get through, uh, uh, do they beat Chelsea this week as we're recording and do they then go and get a decent result in Amsterdam? We're thinking about, you know, do they qualify for the Champions League next um, May if they sell Rodrigo? If they keep Rodrigo, are they scrapping their financial planning? with 500 million euros of debt to service and Peter Lim saying you know I'm not I'm not paying any more of my money that Valencia needs to wash its face which is entirely legitimate and an and a stadium which was mothballed and then slightly mothballed again and a squad whereby you know their wages are extremely high they want to bring youth in that was the reason that they disagreed so strongly with um, Paulo Longoria, their, their director of football and with Marcelino and got rid of them both and their general manager, Mateo Lehmann, uh, who were three forces for absolute football good at Valencia they, they, they disagreed because Marcelino wanted to keep senior players sign better players and win things and Peter Lim is like, no, we, we perform robustly we qualify for the Champions League and then we sell assets and buy at a cheaper price again it's, it's a financial model which can work if you're in business but in football judging a horse flesh and getting it right in terms of how brilliantly you trade not simply to make a profit but to stay competitive. It's a bloody difficult art. Immensely difficult. So Richard the simplest way forward for Valencia is not only to get two brilliant results against Chelsea and Valencia and go through and then hopefully keep going through. It, it's it's also an urgent need because it changes Peter Lim's verdict on who has to be sold and how many have to be sold. So bargain hunters of the world of the football world start queuing up outside Paterna Valencia's training ground and Mestalla their brilliant old stadium because on balance there are likely to be bargains to be to be bought. But if they uh, listen Richard I'm going to put my stick my neck out there. I think they I think they're good enough to draw against Chelsea, maybe win, but I think it's a draw against Chelsea. They keep the head-to-head against Chelsea, having won at Stamford Bridge. At that point, they just need to match Chelsea's matchday six result, which is within their powers. Odds against Valencia qualifying, yes, but impossible. Far, far, far from it and very, very lucrative.
2: Okay, that's everything that we have time for uh, in today's show. We'll be back... Tomorrow, with well, more questions on La Liga, a little bit of Wales, golf, and Madrid in that order, and some English Premier League stuff as well. But for now, Graham Hunter,
1: thank you very much. Adios, thanks for being there, Sosuza and Neil White.